hearts to sing to you today. Words of praise and glory and honor. May you be honored in this place. May your word be blessed. May it bear fruit in our lives. Pray you bless, bless Brother Mark. Fill him with your power and your spirit to speak into our hearts today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning. So we are wrapping up our series on everyday gospel. And as, as I was getting ready for this, I was kind of thinking about using the gospel every day. And how it ought to affect our lives every day. Not just that day way back when we first encountered Jesus in a real way for the first time. But how it ought to be affecting me day to day. And I started thinking about some of those things that I do every day. And so often I do those things on autopilot. We set our coffee pot. We've got a programmable one. We set it the night before. And I can just go in the kitchen in the morning. We've got it set and it, and it, it makes the coffee before we even get out of bed most days. And I can go in there at 6 o'clock and just get a cup and get some coffee out of it. And I just kind of do that on autopilot. I just kind of take it on faith. As long as the electricity in the house is on, that there's going to be coffee. Think about some of those other things that I just sort of do on autopilot. Turn on the faucet. And I just kind of know there's going to be water. Or I just kind of assume there's going to be water. Someday there's probably not going to be water. And then I'm going to be in a panic. You know, I, I put the key in the ignition and turn it. And the car starts. And I just kind of take it for granted that that's going to happen. Now, I've owned cars in my lifetime where I didn't take that for granted, and I'd put that key in the ignition and I'd kind of be saying a prayer, but one more day, Lord, one more day, turn the car on. But I just kind of take that for granted now. You know, stop at the grocery store in the middle of the week, and I just take it for granted that, that's going to, that the store is going to be open. I don't ever stop to think on a Wednesday afternoon is the store going to be closed. I just kind of go on autopilot that the store is going to be open in the middle of the week, in the middle of the day. Pick up the cell phone and I just kind of go on autopilot that it's going to be working, that there's going to be a signal. It's not always true, but usually it is. So much so that I don't pick the phone up thinking, I wonder if there's a signal. And I think that's kind of how our faith ought to be, our relationship with the gospel, with the good news that it should just be one of those things that we, we do on autopilot. Not that we're not thinking about God, but we shouldn't have to stop and wonder, is the gospel relevant to my life today? We should just on autopilot know that it is. That should be where our faith takes us to the point where we don't have to get out of bed and wonder, is God going to show me something today? Does God have an expectation for me today? Is God listening to me today? Is God still relevant today? Those aren't questions we should ask. We should just kind of go on autopilot and know God is relevant. He's got something for me. He has an expectation for me. So I want to I look really quick at some of those faith habits that I think we need to develop. Just like that habit of getting coffee or flipping the switch and there's electricity or turning on the faucet and there's water. Some of those faith habits that we can work on that will put that faith onto some sort of autopilot for us so we know it's there. So I want to look at what kind of habits believers will have. And let me clarify, when I'm talking about believers, 
I mean people that are serious about Jesus. In 2020, 65% of America declared that they are Christians. Not all of them are serious about Jesus. In fact, 24% of those who declared that they are Christians say they go to church two times a month or less. Now, in our current culture, regular church attendance is defined as two times a month. They don't, they don't have an expectation that four or five times a month is regular. They say two times a month counts as regular. But 24% of the people who identify as Christian go to church less than twice a month. I'm not talking to, to those people that claim to be Christian but don't really live that way or don't have a passion to be that way. Absolutely, we should care about those people. Absolutely, we should minister to those people. Absolutely, we want those people to become more serious. But that's not what I'm focused on this morning. I'm, I'm not interested in talking this morning to those who merely say they're Christian, but, but they're not really. I want to talk to the people that say they're Christian and want to be Christian. They have a passion for Jesus. Or, as the pastor and I have said several times, maybe they don't want to, but they want to want to. And maybe you're sitting here this morning and you know, I don't, I don't really want to read my Bible every day, but I want to want to read my Bible every day. I don't want to go to church every Sunday, but I want to want to go to church every Sunday. I want to be one of those people that jumps out of bed on Sunday, passionate about church. Well, those people I'm talking to as well. The book of Acts, that's where we're going to spend most of our time this morning. And the book of Acts gives us, and we're going to be jumping around quite a bit. This is a little, little unusual for the way I, I tend to preach. But we're going to jump around a little bit because the book of Acts, I think, gives us four really good definitions of a Christian, habits of a Christian. And it comes right out of the early church. Because I think the early church, that first church, if we can grab what they do, and how they live as the way we ought to be, I think we're on the right track. I think too often as Christians we get too worried about what the church on the street is doing instead of worrying about what did the first church do. If we can do what the first church did, then we're going to be on our way to serving Jesus. So in uh, the 8th chapter of Acts, and we're just going to go through these really, really quick. So uh, if you're turning with me in the Bible, try to keep up. Um, otherwise, just do your best to, to hold on. Uh, in the 8th chapter Acts, there's a story about Philip in the Ethiopian. And I preached on this just a couple of weeks ago. But the Ethiopian, is he's sitting in his chariot, chariot and he's reading out of the Old Testament. Of course, then it, was just, it wasn't the Old Testament then. But he's reading out of the Old Testament, and he's not really understanding it. And God had prompted Philip to go and stand there. And Philip heard the guy kind of kind of being... Uh, having a hard time understanding what he was reading. And so Philip asked him about it. And the guy says, I don't understand this. I need somebody to explain this to me. Uh, Acts chapter 8, verse 35. I'm in the easy to read version. Philip began to speak. He started with the same scripture and told the man the good news about Jesus. He started with the exact same text that guy was struggling with. Started talking about that. And then drew a straight line from that. To the, to the birth, the life, the crucifixion, and the resurrection of our Savior. And he did that in such a straight-line way, explained that in such a way, that that man got saved and baptized that very day. 
He added to the kingdom of God. Now, Philip didn't invent this way of, of knowing the scriptures. Jesus modeled this in Luke chapter 24, verse 37. Then this is Jesus with some of the apostles. Then he began to explain everything that had been written about himself in the scriptures. He started with the book of Moses, and then he talked about what the prophets had said about him. Jesus knew the scriptures. He had studied the scriptures. If we look at Paul in Galatians, the first chapter of Galatians, Paul's got this, this got four verses I'm going to read, but there's just one little part of one of the verses we're going to zero in on. Uh, starting with verse 15 in the first chapter of Galatians, Paul says, But God had special plans for me even before I was born. So he chose me through his grace. It pleased him to let me see and know his son so that I could tell the good news about him to the non-Jewish people. I immediately prepared to do this work without asking for advice or help from anyone. I did not go to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was. But without waiting, I went away to Arabia. Later, I went back to the city of Damascus. Three years later, I went to Jerusalem to meet Peter. I stayed with him for 15 days. The part I want to zero in on is that three years. What did, what did Paul do during that three years? He spent time in prayer and he spent time studying the scriptures. He spent time becoming familiar with God's word, with what had been written down about God. Now, there's absolutely nothing wrong with listening to sermons. I know a lot of folks, myself included, one of the great advantages of the Internet, when you get sermons from all over the world, a lot of us listen to sermons throughout the week. A lot of great Christian podcasts about Christian living out there. Um, you know, a lot of us go to Bible study in addition to Sunday morning, but we go to Bible study that other people lead. We can read a lot of great Christian writing, not just on the internet. You can get books. You can read. Christian writers will tell you how you are supposed to, to live. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But Scripture needs to be your focus. Reading the Word of God needs to be your focus. So that you can understand what God's Word says. And I, I understand the Bible is often hard to understand. Especially if you are a new believer or you are new to this habit of reading on a regular basis, this is very daunting to crack this book open and to start reading and say, I'm going to read today, I'm going to read tomorrow, I'm going to read the day after that. It's, it's hard to understand that. But let me ask, and this won't apply to everybody in the room, but do you remember back before answering machines, before cell phones, before caller ID. You remember that crazy thing we used to do when the phone was ringing and we didn't know who was calling and you just picked it up and said hello? Do you remember doing that? I mean, that's not the world we live in now. How many of us, we look at the phone and we don't know the number as well, they'll leave me a message if it's important. We didn't do that back then. Well, they'll come visit me if it's important. No, the phone was ringing, you didn't know who it was and you just answered it. Hello? And you didn't know who was going to be on the other end. But, but maybe you can identify, you remember back when we used phones that way, that you would say hello and you had no idea who you were going to be talking to, and that person on the other end just had to say one word and you recognize their voice. 
and you knew instantly, oh, it's grandma, or oh, it's my dad, or it's the neighbor. You, you recognize that voice immediately. Well, how did you come to recognize that voice on the phone? By talking to them on the phone over and over and over again, right? You didn't recognize a voice from somebody that you talked to on the phone one other time 18 months ago. You recognize their voice because you talk to them frequently. Understanding the Bible is much like that. The more you read, the easier it is to read and to understand. I'm not saying three days of reading are going to make you a Bible scholar. But three days of reading is going to be easier to understand on the fourth day than it was on the second day. Two months of reading is going to make it easier to understand than that first day. Years of reading will make it easier to understand. The more you spend time listening to God, and let me be honest, this is how we hear God on a daily basis. We read His Word. The more time you spend listening to God, the easier it is to recognize His voice. The easier it is to understand the things that He is saying to you. So the more you study, and the more you learn, and the more you understand... And the more you see, the better for your Christian walk. The better your habit, the better your ability to go through life as a Christian with your Christianity on autopilot as a constant part of your life that you don't have to think about, that you don't have to summon. It's just there. My first point is a believer spends time with God's Word. That's point number one. You want to be defined as a believer, you're going to spend time with God's word, but not just with God's word. That was point one. Let's keep going. Acts chapter two, verse 42, a, a beautiful picture of what church should look like. Acts two, verse 42, the believers spent their time listening to the teaching of the apostles. They shared everything with each other. They ate together and prayed together. The first church was in constant prayer. I'm going to go through a couple of verses really quick, and I don't, Ben might not even be able to keep up with me if I can read quick enough. But I've got a couple different places through Acts. First one is in Acts chapter one when they were the, the apostles had gathered to pick a replacement for Judas. Uh, Acts chapter one verses twenty four and twenty five. They prayed, Lord, you know the minds of all people. Show us which one of these two men you choose to do this work. Judas turned away from it and went where he belongs. Lord, show us which man should take his place as an apostle. Acts chapter 9, verse 40. Peter sent all the people out of the room. He knelt and prayed. Then he turned to Tabitha's body and said, Tabitha, stand up. She opened her eyes. When she saw Peter, she sat up. Acts chapter 16, verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing songs to God. The other prisoners were listening to them. Before every decision, before every miracle, before every seemingly spontaneous act, before everything they did, the apostles were in prayer. They were talking to God. We need to make that such a habit that that prayer is a reflex. Years ago, when I was at a church in Ohio, we, uh, we took teens on a mission trip. We went to something called the Pittsburgh Project where we spent time in the inner city working on people's homes and, and doing some home maintenance and some property maintenance for them. And we went out there, we took several, 
We didn't take a bus. We just loaded people into a bunch of vans and a bunch of pickup trucks, took some tools with us and took away his luggage and just kind of caravan from the Cleveland area out to Pittsburgh. And one of the kids that we brought with us, he was not saved. He was there as friends had brought a youth group and he really wanted to come on the trip. And, and, and not being born again, he didn't understand a lot of this Christian stuff we were doing. And he said to me one, one of these days, why do we pray all the time? Can't we just pray once and cover all of it? And he wasn't wrong because on this trip we were spending an awful lot of time in, in prayer. We got together, we prayed every morning, first thing. And then we had breakfast. We'd pray before we would eat. And then after breakfast, we'd break up into groups, we would do morning devotions, and we would pray again. Then we would get to the job site, and we would pray at the job site. And we'd break for lunch, and we would pray before we ate. Um, we would pray with the homeowners before we left, later in the afternoon. When we got back, we had afternoon devotions, and we would pray. We would pray before we ate dinner, and then after dinner, we would get down into the to the to the gym of this place where we were staying, and we would do evening worship, and, and there'd be somebody come and preach, and prayer would be a part of that. These were we have to pray all the time. I don't understand this. And I said to him, I said, we're praying all the time because we want to demonstrate that we need to be in prayer all the time. We want prayer to become a reflex. We don't need to pray before we eat because we think they're about to serve us something dangerous that we might not live through. But we just want to be thankful. We want to get in this habit of talking to God. On the way home, one of the pickup trucks that we had belonged to a father or one of the students, and, and he had come as a, a chaperone, and he was driving. Something broke with the hitch, and he was pulling a trailer that had belonged to somebody else that loaned it to us, and the trailer was full of tools and full of luggage and, and coolers and stuff, and the hitch broke on his truck. And we were still about two hours away from home. And we stopped and we're over on the side of the road. And I don't know what it is about taking teenagers out of town, but a car almost always seems to break down or have something go wrong. And we're, we're on the side of the road and, and we're all gathered together. And this kid said, hey, I think we should pray. And then he just kind of had this aha moment where he looked at me, making eye contact with me. And he said, oh, I get it. If we get in the habit of praying all the time for the stuff we don't need to pray about, when something comes along that we need to pray about, well, then we'll be in the habit of prayer. And that's, as, as, as we pastors call that, that is a touchdown moment where somebody figures out what we've been trying to teach, what we've been trying to model. He got that, this habit of prayer. That's what the, the believers in the church in Acts, they prayed about everything all the time, constantly. So the first habit we need to develop, a believer spends time with God's word the second one, a believer has a consistent prayer life. If you are serious about Jesus, then you are serious about talking to God on a regular basis. Moving into the third point, you know, every, every commercial on TV wants you to believe that that company genuinely cares about you. Get our cell phone plan, because we care about your family being able to stay in touch. Buy a truck from us because we care about your family's safety and our trucks are high rated for being safe. Eat at our restaurant. We care about your family. We got the best food and the best value that you're going to find. Shop at our store. We care about your family and we want you to, to be safe in our store and we want you to have the best selection of stuff you don't need for Christmas 
and you come on in and you buy everything you don't need from us because we care about you and your family and we want you to have all of your stuff. Now, most of us, as, as, as we age, we kind of figure out that's the way that the advertising game is played. They don't, not that they don't want us to be safe, but they really care about getting our money a little more than they care about the quality of life our family has. And we just kind of, we just kind of get that. But doesn't it feel good when somebody does care about us? How many of us have ever called one of those 800 numbers to talk to like customer service because there's something wrong with your bill or something wrong with your service? Anybody ever had to make that call? Anybody ever had to make that call and after you've been on the phone for, let's say a half hour, and I'm probably rounding that down, after you've been on the phone for a half hour, you are certain that they don't care about your problem. They don't care if your bill ever gets fixed. Do you ever feel that way? Isn't that frustrating? Have you ever called that number and you talk to somebody and not only are they able to fix your problem, but you get the sense that they want to fix your problem? That, that they care about you getting your problem fixed? Isn't that a really good feeling? I mean, isn't that like, it's almost like winning the lottery. You know, like all the times I call these numbers and I hate it. I call them any experience. This is great. Have you ever been in a restaurant and they, they kind of they get your food order wrong and then you feel like they're jumping through hoops to fix it? They feel bad that you didn't get what you ordered and they want you to get what you ordered and they want you to have a good experience. Doesn't it feel good when they genuinely care about you? Especially when the alternative is, and we've all experienced this too, where you're, you're somewhere giving them your hard-earned money and they don't really care. That's a bad feeling. We like to be cared about. Caring about us makes, us makes us feel valued, doesn't it? What's something else that the apostles were pretty good at? Caring about what was, what was really important. Um, they didn't just preach Christ to religious people who were like-minded. They didn't just preach Christ to people who they thought were intelligent enough to get it or to understand it. They preached salvation to everybody. Acts chapter 26. Verses 28 and 29. This gives us a really good look into the heart of Paul and what kind of man Paul was. Verse 28 of chapter 26 of Acts. King Agrippa said to Paul, Do you think you can persuade me to become a Christ follower so easily? Paul said, It is not important if it is easy or if it is hard. I pray to God that not only you, but that everyone listening to me today could be saved and be just like me, Except for these chains that I have. See, Paul was in prison. Paul had been in prison for about two years. He had been unfairly put in prison. This was his chance to publicly speak in his own defense. To explain what was going on. Only he didn't speak in his own defense. He didn't tell his side of the story. He didn't talk about the quality of the food in this prison you got me locked up in. He didn't talk about, you know, you should free me because this is a bum rap. I'm not even supposed to be here. He wasn't interested in any of that. He used that chance to tell his side of the story to ignore his story and tell the story of Jesus. He used his opportunity to talk, to talk about Christ. Paul cared most deeply about whether the people listening to him were heaven bound or hell bound. He cared about that more than his own comfort or his own freedom, or anything else. How many people live on your street? 
how many different people live where you can see them from your front yard? How many people do you make eye contact with and nod to when you're in the grocery store? People you don't even know. How many people do you talk to that you do know that you run into at the grocery store? How many people do you talk to when you go to the doctor's office? How many people do you encounter in a month? Do you genuinely care about their salvation? Because every single one of them is either bound for heaven or bound for hell. There is no third option. Every single one of them is destined for one of those two places based on whether or not they know Jesus and accept what he did on the cross. Paul understood that <coughs> intensely. A believer spends time with God's word. <coughs> a believer has a consistent prayer life. And number three, a believer genuinely cares for others. They don't just care because they're supposed to care. They care genuinely. Do we do that? Do we care about the salvation of people that we encounter out there day to day? The very last one of these I want to look at. Let me ask, have you ever lost sleep because you were worried about something? You just get kind of a real restless night's sleep. He dozing off, waking up, dozing <clears throat> off, waking up because something is heavy on your heart. Have you ever been in a really deep sleep and then you, just, you can't explain it, you don't know why, but you wake up and all of a sudden you're thinking and worrying about something that's going to happen the next day or that might happen the next day or that should have happened the day before or something that did happen the day before and you're still kind of struggling with it. Anybody ever had that, that hard time of getting rest because you're filled with anxiety or nervousness or frustration or, or anger about something, I see most of you nodding your heads. I want to look at the book of Acts, chapter 12, at what, what Peter was going through. Peter had been arrested. James had been arrested and, and put to death. Peter had been arrested, and he very likely was going to be put to death. He assumed, this is it, I'm, I'm going to be killed tomorrow. I'm going to be brought before, before the crowd, and I'm going to be put to death first thing tomorrow morning. It's almost certain of his own execution. In chapter 12 of Acts, verses 6 and 7, one night Peter, bound with two chains, was sleeping between two of the soldiers. More soldiers were guarding the door of the jail. Herod was planning to bring Peter out before the people the next day. Verse 7, suddenly an angel of the Lord was standing there, and the room was filled with light. The angel tapped Peter on the side and woke him up. The angel said, hurry, get up. The chains fell off Peter's hands. Now Peter was in such a deep sleep, the angel had to wake him up. Uh, this, the easy to read version says, tapped him on the side. The NIV version says that he was struck on the side. The angel had to strike him to wake him up. The King James Version, anybody got that in front of them? You know what the King James says? That the angel smote him to wake him up. Violently touched him to wake him up. And, and in, in some interpretations, the angel had to kick him to wake him up. Peter is about to be put to death. And he's not tossing and turning. He's not dozing off and waking up and filled with glory. He's in such a sound sleep that the angel shows up and the room is filled with light and he's still asleep. 
The angel has to violently interact with him to wake him up. To say, hey, I'm, I'm here to get you out. Would you wake up? Let's get going. Why is he sleeping such a good, restful sleep? Because he knew what really mattered. Heaven bound or hell bound. He knew where he was going. I'm going to get a good night's sleep. Because if they drag me out and execute me tomorrow morning, I know where I'm going to end up. And that's a real restful thought. Execution is not a restful thought. But the idea of getting to heaven is such a restful thought, the execution don't even matter. Think about that for a moment. Doesn't that put into perspective some of the stuff that we worry about? Doesn't it help us see that the stuff we worry about is often kind of silly and, and inconsequential? As far as it matters versus going to heaven or going to hell? The stuff that I worry about, and I've got to, I've got to look at, at Peter here and think, you know, no matter whatever the worst is that happens to me tomorrow morning, I'm going to heaven. Maybe not tomorrow morning, but I am going to heaven. So whatever happens on Monday, I can deal with that. It doesn't really matter as far as what matters most. And as far as what matters most, I know where I'm going. Do you get that sort of comfort from your salvation? I'm going to be honest with you. Sometimes I do, and often I don't. Often I get caught up in worrying about yesterday, and today, and tomorrow. And I get caught up with my to-do list. And I get caught up with all the stuff that I, that I did that I shouldn't do, and all the stuff that I should have done that I didn't do. I get caught up with all of that, and, and I don't let my salvation comfort me the way that it should. If we are going to live like the gospel is part of our life every day, if we are going to live every day for the gospel and with the gospel, then I think we need to do that fourth thing. We need a believer understands what is really important. A believer spends time with God's word. A believer has a consistent prayer life. A believer genuinely cares for others. And a believer understands what is really important. Do those things define us? Because too many believers, 65%, say, well, I'm a Christian. Too many of that 65%, the only time they interact with God's Word is when they're reading it on a screen when they're in church. Two times a month or less. And for a lot of them, that's less. The largest percentage of Christians in our culture are what we call those CEOs. Christmas and Easter only attenders. They show up on Christmas Eve as long as they don't have family in from out of town. And as long as the weather's okay. And they show up on Christmas morning if there's a service on Christmas morning. And they show up on Easter morning. Again, provided they don't have family in from out of town. They don't interact with God's word. They don't interact with other believers because they're not there and they're not close to it. An awful lot of believers, their, their prayer life consists of bowing their head when the preacher says, let's pray. And if you're only in church a couple of times a year or a couple of times a month, then you're not even doing that very often. 
We struggle as a culture to genuinely care for others. I believe with all my heart in 2021, our culture is angrier than I've ever seen it in my lifetime. Just as angry as, as it's ever been. We don't care about others as much as we care about ourselves and our own beliefs. And I might be really frustrated with Zach, not because of anything Zach's doing, but because Zach doesn't believe exactly what I believe. Zach doesn't vote the way I vote. And so I'm really frustrated and really angry because he's not just like me. But it's not because I care about Zach. It's because I care so much about me that I'm angry that Zach doesn't care about me as much as I care about me. We struggle to care about others. Us born-again believers in the room, let's be honest, we struggle to care about others. And if we are struggling with it and we know better, how do you think the world out there that doesn't know any better, how do you think they're dealing with it? A believer understands what is really important. You know what's really important? Heaven bound or hell bound. That is the headline that matters. Everything else is just details. And we just get so caught up in everything but that that a lot of times we go through our day and we don't even stop to think. We just take for granted I'm going to heaven and I don't stop to think about these other people that I'm interacting with. Do they know Jesus? What if the person God is counting on to tell them about Jesus was me? And I'm too busy caught up in my own stuff. We're going to live like gospel is part of us every day. We need to be much more serious than we are about living that way. Let's pray. Lord, Lord, I thank you for this morning. Lord, I thank you for a chance to, to sit and, and, and talk with the young people about the things that Isaiah was talking about. Lord, I thank you for a chance to, to fellowship, to laugh, to smile with friends. Lord, I thank you for worship. I thank you for a church that takes worship seriously. It's not just singing and it's not just music. But it is worshiping the, the king of the universe. Lord, I thank you for an opportunity to share my heart with my church family. Lord, I pray that, that I wasn't in the way of what you wanted me to share this morning. Lord, I pray that you will break our hearts for you. That you will break the stronghold that, that selfishness has. That you will break the stronghold of, of us worrying about the wrong things. That you will break this, this stronghold of, of not reading, of, of not praying as often as we know we should. That you would just break our hearts for the things of you and your kingdom. So that we could begin to impact this world. So that more from this world will be joining us with you and in your kingdom in the world to come. Lord, I just pray this in your son's name. Amen. 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 Thanks, Pastor Mark. A good practical message to close up our series on the everyday gospel. How we can make the gospel a part of our everyday lives. And, uh, isn't that what we all want?
the gospel to impact us every day as it impacts the world around us. A couple of announcements for you today. Uh, Bible study Tuesday mornings. Uh, no, Brother Sam's not here today. If he's not well, one of us will fill in um, for Tuesday morning. So Tuesday morning Bible study will be at 9.30 here. Thursday night, 6.30. 6.30 is on here as well. So both of those are on. Um, got a couple of uh, future announcements to, to mention to you. Um, number one is uh, we, we typically do um, Operation Christmas Child around this time of year um, for children in the, in the uh, world that we, we give gifts and put boxes together. This year we decided not to do it. Uh, we had a, a hope for another plan and uh, things worked out well. And we are participating in a local program this year. It's called Angel Tree. You may have heard of it. Um, it is a great program, and it impacts the kids in our area. And that's really what we wanted to do this year. Not that we have anything against Operation Chris Trout, great program, um, and we're excited for them. But we wanted to uh, impact uh, the kids in our area. We are undertaking 10 children this year at our church. Um, names will be given to us uh, sometime, I guess, in the next week or so. Yeah. I'm not sure when we'll get them, but shortly. We'll have, we'll have those, hopefully, this next week, um, names and ages. And what we're going to do is, instead of asking you to go shop for these kids, we're going to ask you to donate so that we can shop. And then we're going to send a group of ladies to go shop for these children. And uh, they give up, they, yeah, they give us a little, a little card that has their name and age on it and some things that they're interested in. doesn't mean we have to hunt because you know how kids, it could be something ridiculous that we can't afford or or, or whatever, but it, it kind of lets us know what they're looking for, so we'll have some ideas of how to uh, help um, to purchase. So we're going to do that, and we'll start taking up money next week. We'll have a, a you can put it in the offering envelope and mark it on your offering envelope, Angel Tree, and we'll separate that money out, um, and uh, we'll put that together, and uh, we'll get our ladies together to go out and go shopping for them, and we're going to collect through December 5th. So it's not a real long time. It's only like a three-week period that we'll have to collect. And the reason for that is because we just got the information this week and we have to have it done in time to shop for the 12th, which is when it has to be turned in by that week. So, um, but we're going to celebrate that day because by that day, you may be sick and tired of turkey. You, ever, you remember that old commercial, Flaming Turkey Wings? You know, the, by the time Thanksgiving was over, you were just sick of all the turkey leftovers and all that. We're going to celebrate that. We haven't done anything here to eat and fellowship together in a long time. And so we're going to celebrate that Sunday after church. We're going to hang out and eat, and we're going to call it Taco Sunday. So we're going to break out the mold, and we're going to break loose and have tacos that day. There'll be some sign-up sheets out next week for things that you can help bring. Uh, we'll make the taco meat and seasoning, that kind of stuff. We're going to need all the goodies to go along with it for everybody to hang around and stay and eat. So we'll have a sign-up sheet set out next week for you to sign up to bring a tomato or a piece of cheese or whatever. You know, a, a single taco. You know, that's all you're getting, though, is a taco with a piece of tomato and a piece of cheese, if that's all you're bringing. So, so, you can make a taco salad. Yes, we'll have. See, we can do that. So, and if you don't like tacos, you can stay and watch Mark and I. We'll be glad to eat your tacos. So, we're excited about that. 
Okay, good. I will. I'll eat yours. But uh, we're just going to hang out in fellowship and uh, spend some time together as a church body, as a family together on the 5th. All right, last thing before we go. It's 12.01, time to go. Um, many of you in the room have been praying for a long time for my sister. Um, my sister's been battling cancer for six to seven years. I don't know. It's been, been a long haul for her. And, uh, and some of y'all, the newer folks in the church, uh, don't even know about uh, the fact that she had it because we don't talk about it a lot. She, she hasn't, uh, she's never actually been here to visit with us. So none of y'all have actually met her. Um, but my sister finally lost her battle with cancer. Uh, unfortunately, it was not necessarily what we would have liked, but uh, she just got where she couldn't handle it anymore, I guess. And on Tuesday morning, she attempted to take her life. And uh, she died about 3.30 this morning. So I wanted to kind of put that out that you guys know. Um, I wish you would be praying for my brother-in-law, Dennis, and her daughter, Kim. Both of them have been there with her the whole time. Um, we did not go down. We weren't, nothing wrong in the family. Um, just kind of my sister's wishes. Um, and so um, we didn't go and uh, see her. But uh, we know that uh, regardless of the choices that we sometimes make in life, um, when we are secure in the Lord, we're secure in the Lord. And uh, she, she knew the Lord. I'll be honest with you. My sister... Um, loved the Lord Jesus Christ and hated church. And I could never get my mind around that. I never could understand that in all my life. Because I love church and I love the church. But uh, she did not. And, uh, so um, so that's why she never came. Not that she didn't like you guys. She just didn't like church. And I don't know why. But she is at home with the Lord. And here's what I want to tell you. I want to encourage you today. We talk about it all. In the life of a believer, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ here today, nothing comes into your life that does not pass the reign of God. He either purposes it, plans it, and directs it, or He allows it. I can't tell you which of these it was. I don't know. But I know this. God is always right. God is always good. Amen. Those things don't change just because the circumstances are hard. When the circumstances are hard in your life, you need to know that God is good. And God is right. And He's got you in the palm of His hand. Amen. Just like He does our family. Just like He does my sister. She's at home, I believe, in the presence of the Lord today. We're grateful that God is gracious and kind and sustains us in these days. Um, I don't know anything about a service. If we do one, um, I'll let you know if it's in the area. Um, we would obviously love for you to come and be a part if that's something that's, that's going to be on the horizon. I honestly don't know. I haven't had a chance to talk to my brother-in-law. He is just devastated. Um, tough, tough situation for him, so pray for him. And uh, hopefully I'll be able to talk to him soon. I'll let you guys know what's going on. So thank you for your prayers for her, and thank you for uh, your prayers for us during this time. All right.
Here's what I want you to do this week. I want you to go be salt and light wherever you go. Take the gospel. Share it with those around you. I love you, church. Have a blessed, blessed week.